Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast. I am Rick Thomas, and I thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. I got something very special for you today. I am going to be interviewing our theology department for our mastermind program, Brandy Huerta. She heads up our theology department for our ministry, and I have a question for her, and I ask her through our Slack channel. Brandy, would you be willing to come on board and deal with this question? Here it is. What is salvation, sanctification, and my responsibility? I have a lot of show notes here. It's episode 121, and so if you want to go to the show notes, I have three graphics, and we have some some $5 theological words that Brandy was kind enough to define for me and you, and they're listed here. We probably won't cover all of these words, but it will be helpful if you can get to the show notes. Look at these graphics. Look at these words. Brandy, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited. You are welcome. All right, so you heard the introduction. The main question is, what is salvation? sanctification in my responsibility. The reason I want to ask this question is because it's a common concern for all of us, especially when we're new believers, but maybe more mature believers or older, or they've been in the faith longer. But I remember that, let me state it this way, when God first saved me, I sinned the next day. Yes, <laughs> me too. And I was surprised. I was really surprised. Now, I admit, I didn't know John three sixteen when God regenerated me, so I had no... Bible knowledge whatsoever, but it was a shock to my soul because I thought when God regenerated me that I wouldn't sin anymore. And so that was my what I say is my first disappointment with God is that <laughs> where where did this come from? So here's here's the main idea. If God saves me from my sin, forgives me of all my past, present, and future sins, blots them out, makes me a new creation in Christ. Why do I continue to sin? And do my ongoing problems with sin mean I'm not a Christian? And what is my role in responding to my transgressions? Now, you can take these in three parts, so let's start with the first one, Brandy. Do my ongoing problems with sin mean I'm not a Christian? What's up? No, that doesn't mean you're not a Christian. And that is something that is not very well understood. Unfortunately, a lot of times we just don't know. This wasn't explained clearly to us when we got saved. In fact, the person that led me to the Lord told me not even to worry about whether I sinned or not. God would change me over time and that I was just sort of passive because she pointed out, you have no power to change yourself. Well, I knew that. But isn't that true, though? It is true. Is it is it sanctification a passive thing that happens to us? Two things happen during sanctification. There's a primary cause of our sanctification, and then there's a secondary cause of our sanctification. And what we mean by the word sanctification, that word sanctification in the Greek has the same root word as the word holy. So it's the process by which the Christian becomes holy in this life. And What's the primary cause? The primary cause is the power of God himself. We would remain dead. We would remain powerless if God did not intervene to give us the desire. It says uh, in Philippians 2, he gives us both the power and the want to 
to be holy. And then it goes on to say that we're talking Philippians 2, 12 and 13, that um, that it is God who makes us willing and is God that gives us the power. But then it goes on to say we are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. And people, is that secondary cause? That is the secondary cause. So why do we need secondary cause if we have primary cause? If God has power to do, to sanctify us through passive obedience, why do we need secondary cause? He absolutely does have that power, and He has chosen to do it this way for reasons known only to Himself. It glorifies Him best that we would be involved in this process. So, in a sense, when you come to Christ, you are perfectly holy. You are justified, declared righteous by God the Father because of the work of Christ on the cross on our behalf. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That is Christ. He was made sin on our behalf and punished in our place so that we may become the righteousness of God in Him. So, my sins credited to Christ, and Christ's righteousness is credited to me. So, when the Father looks at me, He sees the righteousness of His Son. And yet, there's this already and not yet tension in the New Testament between I Explain, explain, please. Yes, I will, I will. I know this is, it's, it's wondrous, and I get so excited about this my whole life is uh, wrapped up in studying salvation more deeply, as I know yours is as well. But there are a lot of things. Sin was defeated on the cross. Satan was defeated on the cross definitively. And yet, it's, it's, we say it's inaugurated, but it's not yet consummated. So at the re- so one of, what, one of your $5 words that you gave me that's in our show notes here, episode 121, is definitive sanctification. Is that what you're talking about here? Yes, I'm talking about uh, both justification and definitive sanctification. So in a sense as well, we're already sanctified because we are united with Christ, and He is completely sanctified. So we are already sanctified, and we are not yet sanctified. Throughout the Christian life, we are becoming what we already are. What a good analogy, well, I think maybe good might not be the right word. Analogies can be weak when we're trying to align something up with these big doctrinal terms here. But when I was born the first time as an infant, I had everything that I needed in a definitive sense, correct? I mean, mm, amen. Yes. body part, but I wasn't mature. Right, exactly. So I, I, was all, I was already, but not yet. Yes. As far as being mature, is that fair? I think that's fair. I think that works. All analogies break down at some level, but right. I think, I think um, that's definitely the case. You're not as mature as you're going to be when you first come to Christ, you spend the entire the entirety of your Christian walk becoming more like Him. That will not be completed until we're in the eternal state face-to-face with Him. Then we'll be like Him. Not So we truly have everything that we need for life and godliness. We do. We do. In a definitive sense. Yes. But there's still a working out of so we're not robots. We're in a relationship with God, and He wants us to cooperate with Him. 
And so we do have a responsibility in this growth, this maturity, this maturation. Nobody's born again and then made 100% mature right. or perfect at that point. All right, so what's the difference quickly between justification, definitive sanctification? You set them together, but there are distinctions? There are distinctions. Justification is a legal declaration, and in Romans 8, somewhere around 30, it says, it is God who justifies who is there to condemn. So you see those two different declarations, on one hand justification, on one hand condemnation, that's a pronouncement God makes. And for those who are outside of Christ, they are condemned. For those who are in Christ, we are justified. We are declared righteous. Now, the basis for that justification, the reason why God can legally justify us is that we are righteous in Christ. We are united with Christ in some sense in the mind of God it says in Galatians 2.20, we are crucified with Christ. It says in Ephesians 1, we are seated in the heavenly places with Christ. All of that is now in some sense that we don't fully understand. But because we are united with Christ and He is sanctified, we are sanctified as well. And we call that definitive sanctification. That's a once for all completed by God, completed by Christ on the cross on our behalf. Now, the progressive sanctification, which is what our ministry deals with, is that day-by-day mortifying sin, amputating sin, and growing into the likeness of Christ by the power of the Spirit, but by our own efforts as well. That is what we're talking about. So it's this, and so progress, okay, so justification is a part of being regenerated. Yes. Being born again. It's a a one-time act, it's a declaration from God we're declared not guilty. Of course, there's other aspects. You know, you have the ordo salutis here, the order of salvation here as part of uh, your $5 words that you've given me. And so uh, adoption, justification, definitive sanctification, those things happen one time at regeneration. So like, re- let's say regeneration is the, the basket and then there are a lot of good mm. things that go into that basket, like justification, adoption, definitive san- mm. sanctification. All right. So then distinct from that, even though it flows out of it, is this idea you're saying of progressive sanctification. And so we got the one, one-time deal of regeneration that makes us secure forever in Christ. But now what flows out of that is this opportunity to mature in Christ, to grow up in Christ-likeness, and that's what you're calling progressive sanctification, correct? correct? So definitively are sanctified, but progressively we're actually stepping into a fuller realization of our inheritance in Christ. Amen. Yes, that's exactly right. So if I, so the the answer to the question then, uh, do my ongoing problems with sin mean I'm not a Christian, you say? Absolutely not. And I think of Paul at the end of Romans 7 when he's talking about, oh, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, that I do, and who who will deliver me from this body of death? He says, oh, wretched man that I am. Because part of the, um, part of the deal with this sanctification thing is as you grow in your sanctification, you're more aware of the sin that remains in you. There's less of it, practically, 
but you're more sensitive to the Spirit. You're more in tune with the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And when you do see sin in your life, you're more aware of it and it is grievous to you. And so, any of us who've been a Christian for any length of time can really empathize with Paul. Who will deliver me with this from this body of death? I long to be with Christ and never to sin against Him again. And so, Paul. That's a good. Yeah. That's a good explanation for what I experienced the day after God regenerated me. Yes. Because the day before He regenerated me, I, I didn't care. I did the same sin I did the day after. The day before God saved me, I didn't care. The day after, I was shocked. Right. And I, the word you used was grieved. I didn't know the big words back then. I was just surprised. But I <laughs> guess you, I guess it would be accurate to say I was grieved. And so if it's post-salvation and you're sinning and you're grieved by your sin, I mean, that that's a strong indication that you are a believer because you you are in Christ and you don't want to do that, right? Exactly. Exactly. Before before salvation, I really didn't give much thought about it. Right. I enjoyed sin. Right. So that's so in a weird sense, it can be encouraging that God is working in you post salvation if you are grieved over your sin. That's true. And I think, you know, one distinction probably should be made to some degree before I was saved, I grieved over my sin, but I think it was because I I wanted to think I was better than that. Yeah. And so there was a pride thing. You know, I, I wanted to think more highly of myself than that. And so that ongoing slavery was bothersome to me, not because it offended a holy God, but just because I thought well of myself and I didn't want to be that way. Yeah, that's more of a self-esteem gospel where you have a h- high view of yourself. And so when you mess up, you hate yourself because yes. you messed up. And the the Christian who messes up, or what we call sin, I mean, they're dissatisfied too, but they also realize that this is uh, defaming God, and they care about God, and 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 they want to walk out obedience. The, yes. The so there, there's there's primary cause in salvation, secondary cause in salvation. We respond to God. After he first acts on us? That was a question. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. The answer is yes. Right, so it's a lot ahead. like, you know, I, I always explain to people, if I ask you, who wrote the book of Galatians? Was it God or Paul? The answer is yes. Yes. Who is responsible for your sanctification, God or you? The answer is Yes. And there's no, you know, sometimes people will ask, well, how much of it is God and how much of it is me? And that's not the right question. All of the power comes from God, but you are 100% responsible for your actions before Him as well. As this primary, secondary cause is what you're calling concurrence. Concurrence, yes. When things are concurrent, they are happening at the same time. But there is an order of priority which is where you yes. get primary secondary calls. Again, I'm talking with Brandy Huerta. This is episode number 121, Life Over Coffee. What is salvation, sanctification, and my responsibility? There is a there's a list of theological terms here in these show notes if you want to read them. We're not going to hit all of them, but all of them are important because it will help you with this idea of of how to live as a Christian as you cooperate with what God is working in you as a believer through progressive sanctification. 
Brandy, this term, working out your salvation, it makes sense on one hand, but it seems confusing on another because you're connecting working out to the word salvation, but that doesn't mean that you're working to be saved or to stay saved, correct? Correct. Right. We are no longer dealing with God. Our our position before God is not... Uh, we're not relating to him as a judge anymore. Now we've been justified, definitively sanctified, and adopted. He's our father. And so we we are completely secure in him. We cannot lose our salvation. We cannot earn his judgment, his wrath. And so any sort of disruption in our relationship with him that comes as a result of our sin does not incur anything punitive from him. It's not punishment. It it brings us under his discipline. So we walk into the courtroom in an orange jumpsuit and leg chains. We stand before the judge. He brings the gavel down, declares us not guilty. That is justification. And then he adopts us. He brings us into his family. Yes. Those are somewhat simultaneous actions. And so now we are born a second time. We have a new life. We step outside the courtroom. We have street clothes, no orange jumpsuit. The chains are gone. And now we go with the judge to his living room, and we have a relationship with him. Correct? Correct. We do. And because—so now is motivation. Why do I want to— be obedient. So my motivation exactly. is not to please him per se in the sense of trying to merit a relationship with him because I already have a binding, unbreakable relationship. But I want to be obedient out of gratitude for what he did back there in the courtroom. Yes, and that is a that is a really good analogy and I've heard you say before that if someone did that for you and filled your bank account with millions of dollars and you had everything you need and the promise for more later, you would be highly motivated to love and serve that person. And what we have in Christ is infinitely more than that even. And so as you said so well, we are not looking to avoid his, you know, the other shoe dropping or his anger coming down on us. We love him. And so we want to please him. And it is an issue of motivation. So when we talk about our works, some people will get a little nervous about that and say, wait, your works don't save you. Are you a legalist? No, no, because we're not trying to earn God's favor by our obedience, Christ earned his favor on our behalf already. But we want to look like him. We want to put him on display, and we want to bear fruit in our lives to glorify him and also to serve other people and help them know him more. Why do you think there's confusion with this idea of sinning post-salvation? What's what's going on there? I know there's several angles to my question here, but just this idea— of, of sinning after salvation, either not acknowledging it or thinking I'm not a Christian or not having the right motivation, just not understanding obedience post-salvation. Definitely. I think it's all of that. And I think if you look at the history of theology over the years and even in the last hundred years, 
the gospel, you know, a, a full understanding of the gospel was lost a hundred some years ago, and Christianity became more moralistic, meaning, you know, do good deeds, be nice to people, do these things, don't do these things. And those rules became harsher and harsher. And then at some point, so that's one ditch, kind of the legalistic ditch, you know, don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't go to movies, don't. All of these things is what it turned into. And then I think that Christianity kind of overcorrected from that and went into what we would call licentiousness or antinomianism. Antinomianism means anti-nomos against the law. We're going to throw out the law because we're completely righteous in Christ and it doesn't matter what we do. Well, that's anti-gospel as well. Anti-what? Ah, antinomianism. So anti-against namas law. People just saying the law doesn't matter. The law doesn't matter. Right. It it doesn't matter what I do because Christ paid for all my sins, past, present, and future, and I can just I can just live in the freedom, which actually ends up being bondage because you can't become free of your sin unless you're acknowledging it and forsaking it uh, biblically. And I call this the grace mistake. Yes. They come out of legalism, or they've been in legalism for so long, and then they begin to hear about the doctrines of grace, and then it's like they're shot out of legalism like a cannon, and they overshoot the gospel, and then they have this wonky or sloppy interpretation of grace, or the big word, use the big word again? Antinomianism. I like the big word. Uh, they overshoot and end up spurring the law. So legalism, let me ask you about legalism, because legalism, there has to be two different two definitions here because a, a Christian can't be a legalist technically. Correct. Because a legalist is a person who's earning salvation. And so right. you're not using legalism in the sense of, this is an individual like the Pharisees right. who is working toward salvation, which is impossible. We know right. that's impossible. So you're using legalism more as a moral structure, but it's not so much about earning salvation, but there's a rigidity. Tell me what's going on there. I think it is a, a phrase that you taught me when I was going through your mastermind program is functional unbelief. And I think that's a form of functional unbelief. Now that's, we're not, we're saved, we're regenerated, and confessionally with our mouths, we can say, I am saved by grace through faith in Christ, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. I can say that and on one level believe it. And yet, when I get up every day, if I don't get my, you know, two point four hours of prayer and quiet time and evangelize three people, you know, and I feel four point like, and four point two five chapters to read the Bible through in a year. Exactly. If I don't do all okay. of that and evangelize three people and you know, then I feel like this low You only have to is, evangelize three? Yeah, only three. Wow. Is that the way it is? Is that the going number in Colorado? Yes. Here in the Bible belt we have to evangelize a lot more. Yeah, we're pretty chill so, out here. <laughs> I'm moving to Colorado. So they have definitive sanctification. They're born again. 
they have alien righteousness, Christ righteousness. Yes. They're fully, fully, fully saved. What do you believe are some of the shaping influences of an individual who is regenerated, but yet they still are in this rigid framework, what we're calling legalism in this secondary sense as far as a, a rigid morality? It's a really good question. I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, just the American dream in some sense that, boy, if you work really hard, you can make something of yourself. It's all on you. We uh, we have a very performance-oriented culture. We have, you know, most of us had parents that if we did well, they were happy with us. If we did not do well, they were disappointed with us. Some of Some of us, you, in fact, had a very angry parent, which messes up your view of God and how to do things. You know, you you could never perform enough to earn your dad's So we're talking about uh, conditional relationships. Yes. And it would be primarily, for most people I would imagine, would be parents. Yes. Because those are the first and most powerful authority structures in a child's life, obviously, because that's all that a child has initially. Religion also, wouldn't definitely, you say, definitely. can be a powerful shaping influence. It, there could be an overreaction to the culture. You know, those things are bad. We want to stay away from them. Yes. And you begin to build these hedges around yourself Absolutely. And to where there's it's a taboo. And so a side effect would be if you are a legalist in that sense to where you're staying away from everything – it seems like it would be hard to own the sins that you do commit. Oh, yes. Who would want who would want to admit it in a cult in a fear-based culture is what we're talking right. about. Right. Yeah, we we end up kind of reverting back to the tactics of our father Adam with the fig leaves and the you know just okay. justify myself, you know, blame shift and um well it really wasn't my fault if this person hadn't done that or no I didn't do that. You know, we we walk into church even if we're getting really good teaching and someone asks, "How are you today?" "Well, I'm blessed. How are you?" and and that's what we do because I'm not going to tell you if I'm struggling with same-sex attraction. I'm not going to tell you if I'm struggling with pornography because I'm afraid of what you're going to think of me. And I need your help, but I'm not willing to ask for it. And those are, this is churches where, you know, the teaching is really good. We don't know always how to go beyond that. Because like you said, we're afraid of what people are going to think of us if we tell them who we really are. Yeah, owning owning personal sin post salvation in our sanctification it can be a hard thing for people, especially if they've had these powerful shaping influences, even to the point of recategorizing our sin, as you said a while ago, justifying it, uh, changing the name of it, rounding the corners mm-hmm. off of it. Right. This is episode one hundred and twenty-one. What is salvation, sanctification, and my responsibility? I'm interviewing. You're listening to Brandy Huerta. She leads our theology department at our Mastermind Training Program here for our ministry. Brandy's a graduate of our school. She's passionate about theology. The Lord has given her a mind to swim the deep waters of theology as well as communicate it clearly to others. Brandy wears multiple hats. She helps with the Mastermind Program and the theology side. 
She also writes for our ministry and counsels. If you want to talk to her about this, I would encourage you to do so. You can go to our forums. We have a public forum that anyone in the world who has access to the internet can chat. If you have a question about this, she would love to serve you. She's highly competent. She can help you. If you are a supporting member of our ministry, go to our private forums. Hit the direct to Rick and his team forum. Brandy will be there, and she'll be glad to serve you, those of you who support our ministry. Many of the words that we've that she's talked about here are listed here in the show notes, and so you can read them. This will be a handy tool. The podcast, this interview that you just listened to, these theological terms, and there are three graphics as well. Brandy, about 30 seconds. You got anything brief and amazing that you want to throw at the end of this? (laughs) Brief and amazing. That's one of our taglines here. I would encourage you, whether you've been a, a believer for a little while or for a long time, to get some good books to study God. There is there's nothing more interesting, there's nothing more rewarding than knowing God. And then spend some time at rickthomas.net, look around, learn how to apply what you're learning to your life. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee. I am. I think that went well. I wish we could have said more about then how to change, but you that's what your whole ministry is. So that sounds good. Yeah, that was pretty quick and easy, but it's when when your mind is saturated in the material anyway, it's easy to talk about it if you're excited about it. So.